pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the Republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Whoa, 
boy, ladies and gentlemen, man, it's starting to feel like old times up in this studio, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome to your fresh Monday edition of the Sea Report, and you are tuning in live, if you are indeed live with us on this Monday, June 12th, 2023, I hope everyone's doing well out there, I hope you guys had a great weekend, I know we did have a great weekend pretty here, our, pretty much here ourselves, uh, but man, like I said, it's starting to feel like old times in here. We're probably going to be doing a lot of our Trump support coming up here. You know, if you are a Trump supporter, if you are a Trump voter, if you are America first, if you're all about making America great again, and more importantly, restoring this republic, then you're tuned into the right place. The Sea Report is America First News. And we do some world news as well. I mean, it's it's important to know who our allies are in this world, isn't it? Anyways, uh, and also election integrity news. Now, those are the fronts that uh, we really confront here at the Sea Report. Uh, now, I know America First sounds pretty general and broad when you say we're America First news, ladies and gentlemen, right? Okay. Uh, but it is true, you know, I mean, America first candidates, people who are really saying that they are going out to restore this republic, to make America great again, to keep America great. You guys probably noticed I was uh, using some of the boss's catchphrases there. Uh, but like I said, for those of you who support President Trump, for those of you who recognize that this is the man with the plan. Now, you know, I, I understand that in the last, what, three to four, five years, a lot of mythologies have been built up in the patriot communities and in the communities of those who seek freedom. A lot of mythologies have blossomed and bloomed and a lot of legends have become uh, tales of accuracy and, and, and indefinable truth. You know, but wherever you stand on the spectrum of support for President Trump, you're welcome. You know, uh, whether you think that he's a man without a plan that just got lucky and has a very strong will to uh, to complete his mission, or whether you feel that he's being uh, teamed up with a whole group of military white hats, you know, whatever it is that you believe, whatever end of the spectrum that you're on, you guys recognize the fact that President Trump is the man who has accomplished more than any other political figure in my lifetime. I'm willing to bet into your lifetime. You know, I know we do have as, as, as few and far between as they are, there are some members of the greatest generation here in this audience, right? I'm willing to bet even in their lifetime, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen a political figure that got as close to racking up all of his promises as President Trump did. Can you imagine what his first four years would have looked like if we didn't have like this super deep state going after him and just uh, gumming up the works on all of his plans and policies, etc.? Can you guys imagine, right, what that would have looked like if we didn't have this uh, predatory elite class? hunting down one of their own who was not playing ball with them. Uh, that would have been a very different story for America, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this past weekend, like I said, I had a pretty great, a pretty, pretty good weekend. I had family visits. I got a lot of work done on the backside. I published an article over at our locals page. Now I published it over at the website as well, but I'm, I'm seriously right now debating whether or not to just forfeit the website and just throw everything like on locals. 
uh, only because I like the format over there. I mean, it's pretty clean cut. It's pretty, I'm, I'm a neat person. I, it's very neat to read. Like I compartmentalize so many of my projects. You know what I mean? I like it neat. Okay. You know, this is why we're also adding additional channels on Rumble to the work that I'm doing because I'd rather keep it compartmentalized. So this way I'm not confusing you guys out there, right? You know, you some of the audience members don't want to hear a book reading, right? They just want the C report. So we're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to accommodate that for the audience members out there who like to keep their stuff, uh, you know, separate and compartmentalized as well. But that's not a story for here and now. Right now we're talking about President Trump, you know, and um, so, you know, uh, like you, you guys should get ready. Right. You know, all throughout the last couple of years with President Trump. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a Trump train. Right. You know, uh, I've been uh, I've been pushing for President Trump. Uh, I mean, since since he uh, since before he got into office. I mean, my first dog in the race back in 2015, 2016 was actually Rand Paul, believe it or not. Okay. As soon as Rand Paul was like out of the race back in 1516, ladies and gentlemen, I quickly had to figure out where my, uh, where my values, where my values and where uh, my beliefs and, and, and the things that I, I, I believe in about this nation, where they lie. You know, not where they lie, but where they rested, where they. And, I, you know, it's a story that I think is very familiar with many Trump supporters today. You know, I'm not talking about the ones that are like, well, uh, I like his policies, but I hate his rhetoric. Right. I'm not talking about those guys. You know, I'm talking about the ones who didn't see anything in President Trump. I mean, if you were like me, ladies and gentlemen, you ignored the man because he was one of the most annoying figures in pop culture with his you're fired. And, you know, I mean, I never watched and I'm I actually been watching some of those now, but um you know, back in the day, I mean, he was a man to be ignored by someone like me, you know, and he was definitely not my dog in the fight. Now, I think, you know, a lot of the consensus here that I meet, that I find with a lot of people who are also of the same resolve is that, you know, they weren't for President Trump either. They weren't for Donald Trump at all. You know, if you were like me, you saw Donald Trump as an establishment uh, ringer, okay? Like you, you guys, if you, if you knew me in 2015 and 16 and you were, or like if you worked with me or whatever, cause we weren't, you know, you're not supposed to talk about politics on the job. Well, you couldn't stop me. Right. <laughs> Anyways. But if you knew me, you knew I was going around telling everyone, oh yeah, Donald, Trump. they're like, oh, I mean, okay, let's do it this way. We had Democrats that I knew that I was working with, et cetera, work as in on the job secularly, not working with them behind the scenes. Do you get it? Okay. <laughs> like in other words, at my 40 40 an hour a week secular job, the Democrats I worked with, who were all for Hillary Clinton, right, were so opposed to Donald Trump. I mean, they were saying things about Donald Trump like people say about them today, like he's vulgar, he's dumb, he's stupid, he doesn't know anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and I was telling him, yeah, I mean, he's just there to be a ringer for Hillary Clinton. I was like, chances are Donald Trump is going to get the Republican nomination, right? And this is when everyone was saying he wasn't going to get it, right? I mean, that's also been the part of my journey this past weekend. I've come up, I've been like running into like all of these 2015, 2016 era, like videos and stuff on President Trump. Like all these 2015, 2016, like memes and vines that we used to do back in the day, you know, and so it's been interesting looking at this data again, 
And, you know, that was coming up um, in in uh, in my past weekend. But, you know, I was telling the people I worked with, I was like, yeah, you know, Donald Trump's just going to throw the Republican because I was like, OK, I was a Ron Paul voter and then I was a Rand Paul voter. Go figure, huh? Anyways. So, I mean, my first vote, the first vote I ever cast went to an independent, believe it or not. Um, and that was back in like 2000. When was that? That might have been in Obama's first race. If I didn't, I did not vote in any of the Bush races. I was not politically, I was not politically active during the time of W. Although I was waking up like the uh, the uh, the uh, fracture lines of awakening had already started for me when uh, whenever nine um, eleven happened, nine uh, eleven terrorist attack happened. Uh, that's when I started to wake up. The rumblings of Mr. C awakening was back at that time, but I didn't cast my first vote in my life, I think, until uh, 2007 or 2008. It, was, it had to have been 2008. No, 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 no. I don't remember. It was, it was. I think it was Barack Obama. I did not vote for Barack Obama, though. Hell no. Okay. I was already way too awake to uh, to vote for Barack Obama. I voted for an independent. I don't even want to say who I voted for. It's so embarrassing now. Okay, <laughs> Some of you guys know who it was. The guy ended up being a traitor. Okay, they're all traitors. Okay, anyone who assumes public office while assuming right that uh, the the American people don't understand the constitute the institutionalized rigging of our election system, right? Anyway, they don't. They, we understand what's going on. Okay, now we understand. I think now Americans and the world are getting a better picture of exactly what this nation has become, due to it's it's the it's the biggest scandal of all time. It's probably even bigger than the Pandora Papers and New Hampshire's what ninety ninety trillion dollar laundering money laundering scheme over there in New Hampshire. The biggest scandal in the world is the fact that the, the that the United States electoral system, the entire system, the entire package is made to rig. The that's the biggest scandal. The biggest scandal is that the entire electoral system is fake and fraudulent. And sometimes we get lightning in a bottle and the grassroots strikes and we actually get a candidate in, but then we see them just demolish them. Look at what they did to Liz Harris over in Arizona, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and, and there's other people I could use as an example, but there are several tactics that they use. For example, with Liz Harris in Arizona, clearly what they did is they finagled this entire this entire situation to work against her, whether it dealt with evidence, which there was none. OK, whether it dealt with phone calls, which they acquired illegally. Right. You know, and I could say the same thing for other representatives. There is a representative here in the state of Texas. He was a local state representative. I'm not going to give his name. Okay, because he had to he he had to resign in disgrace because, you know, if they're not going to attack them, if the establishment and the globalists are not going to attack people who are genuinely trying to restore this republic by way of lawfare or some some type of scandal involving technical errors and procedure, they're going to hit them in their flesh. And what I mean by that is they're going to go after the weaknesses of the flesh. And if that politician is not strong enough to stand up against the temptations of the flesh, they got him. And that's what happened here in the state of Texas. OK, we had we had three people in the state house that were fighting against 
our establishment rhino house speaker, the one who initiated the impeachment on our attorney general here in the state of Texas. And one of the only three who voted against that house speaker, well, he was, his flesh was weak, ladies and gentlemen, and they figured out his weakness and they got him. So that's what I'm saying. This is a war on all fronts. You know, if they're not going to use scandal or procedural uh, technicalities or anything like that, they will find out your weaknesses and they will exploit them. So, you know, this is a, you know, when we're talking about this being a different type of warfare, when we're talking about this being a different type of engagement of the enemy, man, we're not kidding here. Okay. Because they're coming at them and us at all different levels. So anyways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, uh, here at the Sea Report, we are America first, you know, and we are we are Trump supporters through and through. OK, and maybe it's just because I need to have faith in something. OK. <laughs> I'm not saying I have faith in man, ladies and gentlemen, but what I am saying is I do have faith in mankind. <laughs> Does that make no sense to you guys? If it doesn't make any sense to you guys, it's okay. All right. So, all right. So before we get into today's show, as you guys probably saw from some of the title hints, uh, we'll be reviewing some of the documents, you know, because we keep on, I mean, uh, President Trump's arraignment or his indictment or what he's going tomorrow to the courts in Miami, right? That's what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, so. Um, Oh, we're going to review some of the things like just just for some clarification, just to give my audience some ammunition. Right. Because people keep on saying that President Trump, you know, he he thinks he can just declassify documents, you know, which basically it th that is what it is. I mean, like, basically, the president has the, per the has the prerogative to say this is declassified. Right. Now, the reason why we had President Trump saying I could think it and it would become which, you know, on uh, if you want to get technical, I mean, yeah, basically he could. Right. OK, but it was such a facetious comment for him to make. I think it was really just to like, you know, rouse, you know, the ire of his enemies in the mainstream lamestream to say that. Right. Just to make them just to put them out on the edge even more, just to make their 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 um, obnoxious anger even more ridiculous is why I think he was being so facetious to say. But, you know, President Trump did actually release a memorandum, right? A presidential memorandum wherein he declassified those documents. So we're going to go over that today. OK, and then I'm going to also present to you guys I think the uh, an article that I found that I think sums up the reason why the DOJ feels like they can continue to press forward on this illegal, in, uh, I was going to say illegal impeachment. Sorry, President Trump, we already went through two illegal impeachments, you know, at uh, at your expense, sir. But I mean, I mean, for this illegal indictment of President Trump, because uh, there there is some reasoning behind the DOJ why they think that President Trump is guilty. OK, because we hear we hear kind of generically both sides. President Trump says I'm innocent. The deep state says he's uh, he's guilty. Right. You know, should we change the name from the deep state? Did you guys happen to catch any of President Trump's speeches this past weekend? He gave a speech in Georgia and he gave a speech in North Carolina. OK, both very good speeches. The Georgia speech was, uh, I think, a little bit more animated than and fiery than the North Carolina one. 
on the North Carolina one, they were having like a they were having like a luncheon or a dinner or something because you could hear like you could hear like the the plates clacking in the background and stuff like that. But um, you know, he was pretty clear in his speeches. He said, "You know what? I don't think I'm going to call them the deep state anymore. The deep state that phrase is too weak. They're Marxists. They're communists. Let's just call them what they are, right?" So I'm like, "Should we should we should we adopt that as well? Should we stop saying? How about we say the deep state communists that way?" we know that we're talking about the deep state and we're tying them to communism because that is what they are. Okay. So, you know, as I was saying, guys, um, President Trump gave these great speeches this weekend, um, firing up because of this indictment that's happening in, uh, well, tomorrow is supposed to be the day. Okay. Tomorrow is supposed to be the day, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that President Trump will be uh, going down to uh, to the courthouse. So, you know, we'll be presenting that and also looking at the angle that the DOJ is trying to present that says that they have legal grounds for this, which we know they don't, ladies and gentlemen. We know they don't. Uh, and um, you guys will, you guys could probably guess where this information is going to be coming from, right? Okay. It's coming from the Washington Examiner, okay? I'm not done with you yet, Washington Examiner. You and your Council for National Policy Establishment Rhino hacks, or your bosses, I should say. You, you and your Rhino Establishment bosses over at the Council for National Policy, the ones who are funding all of the rhinos who are claiming to be America first, the ones who are funding all of the fake uh, patriots who are claiming to be for restoring this republic over at the Council for National Policy, the one that the public from the Washington Examiner attend, yeah, it figures that the Washington Examiner would provide an angle, ladies and gentlemen, it figures the Washington Examiner would provide an angle that would give some credence to the mainstream lamestreams witch hunt and support the DOJ and whack ass, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jack Smith over there. Try uh, pretending that President Trump is like the president of Kosovo. He's like, I'm just going to indict him on nothing. And he's the people of America and be like the people of Kosovo. And they're going to do nothing about it. And it's going to take a leader from another country just to, de to declare the foul that they have done upon their leader right now. We ain't going to deal with that here, guys. We ain't going to deal with that. Uh, speaking of President Trump's speeches this past weekend, and also speaking of um, this, this sham indictment, let me play you a few uh, minutes. Uh, we'll do two or three minutes from his speech in Georgia just to start off the show. OK, just to start off the show. And then we're going to jump into some Trump truths and we're going to get the ball rolling. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for being here. If you're with us live, you are watching the C Report. I'm your host, Mr. C, also known as Michael Aaron Gossetis. We'll be here for the next hour or two talking shop on America First News and uh, some other uh, interesting items. Let's check out what President Trump had to say. Uh, just a few minutes, guys. We won't be long on this. I just uh, wanna give, he's talking about the indictment here. Now, like, like I said, this is, this is a portion from his speech in Georgia. Uh, let's just check out what the president has to say. As far as the joke of an indictment, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing for this country. I mean, the only good thing about it is it's driven my poll numbers way up. Can you believe this? Way up. Now it's driven up way up and uh, somebody said the fundraising is through the roof. That's less important. But I will tell you, it's really uh, driven us right through the sky. 
We're really winning big. We're winning by every. We're beating the hell out of the Republicans, and we're beating the hell out of Joe Biden. That's why they're doing it. If I wasn't, let me tell you, if I wasn't, there'd be no witch hunt. There'd be no indictment. If I was losing, we're winning by a lot against the Democrats. If I were losing, you know, they're the party of disinformation. They say, oh, oh, we want to run against Trump. We want to run so badly against Trump. We won the first time, and then we did better the second time than we did the first time. We won by many millions of more votes, much better, not even close. We got the most votes ever in the history of our country. And today we're more popular than we were in 2020. We're going to get numbers that are absolutely incredible. Federal law enforcement should never have been involved in this matter, but they got involved and we just can't let that happen. They got involved with Twitter. They got involved with Facebook. The pollsters say it made maybe a 17 point difference. And then they say, I lost. We didn't lose. We won by a lot. But they say I lost by 20,000 votes, 20,000 votes. You know, we'd come here for rallies. We'd come to other states for rallies, but we'd come into Georgia for a rally with a 40, 50,000 people. They'd come in for a rally. They'd have eight. They couldn't fill up the circles. And then you hear, he clipped you at the end, just clipped you. Didn't happen. We won Alabama in a record number. We won South Carolina in a record number. Those people that run it, the professionals say, it's not possible to win Alabama in a record, South Carolina in a record, and lose Georgia just by a tiny little bit, you know? So you got to watch that. You got to watch it. We're all going to be watching it. As president, all of my documents fell under what is known as the Presidential Records Act, which is not at all a criminal act. Everything. It's all judged by the Presidential Records Act. In this whole fake indictment, they don't even once mention the Presidential Records Act, which is really the ruling act which this case falls under 100% because they want to use something called the Espionage Act. Doesn't that sound terrible? Oh, espionage. We got a box. I got a box. The Espionage. The Espionage Act of 1917. I think it was put in there about World War I boxes. And by the way, Biden's got 1,850 boxes. He's got boxes in Chinatown, D.C., He's got boxes all over the place. He doesn't know what the hell to do with them. And he's fighting them on the boxes. He doesn't want to give the boxes. And then they say, Trump is obstructioning. He's obstructing. No, it's a sad, uh, sad day for the country. You know, I said, last night, I said that uh, our country has tears because of what's happening. We have fake elections. We have no borders. We have inflation. We have everything that's just going wrong. There's never been anything like it in the history of our country. We've never done like this. And the division is so bad because what they do is so bad. And our people are angry and they just keep doing it. And sometimes you need strength. You have to have strength more than just normal strength. And we have to get a change because we're not going to have a country left. Remember, I used to campaign. And I'd say that uh, we're going to end up being Venezuela on steroids. And that's exactly what's happening to our country. Our country is going to hell. I was going. Indeed it is, sir. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. Indeed our country is going to hell. 
All right. I almost, you know, I was, I almost ended up just letting it keep on playing or right? I didn't clip it out, but uh, you know, like, like he was saying here, ladies and gentlemen, I mean the espionage, now the espionage act is in play. This is all ridiculous. Okay. It's all ridiculous. And I know that everyone in the audience would definitely agree with that. You know, when we're, you know, you know did you hear what he said, by the way, he was like, uh, the only good thing about this indictment is it's driven my poll numbers up. That was to be expected. I think everyone knew that that was going to happen, right? Okay. But then he said it helped with the fundraising. Somebody mentioned that. Okay. Do you know who mentioned that? It was the Washington Examiner. Okay. The Washington Examiner was like, well, President Trump is still, he he sure is, uh, you know, making some claims on some fundraising from this. He's getting some money. He's already raised millions of dollars, right? That was what was important to the Washington Examiner. Okay. I ain't done with you yet, Washington Examiner. Okay. We went on in the Washington, we went in on the Washington Examiner last night. We went in on the Washington Examiner on Friday because they're showing readers who they are. They're showing them for the rhino-ness that they are, okay? I mean, they're trying to be fair and balanced, but they still seem to kind of interject their own opinions and their thoughts on the candidates or the people that they're writing about in their articles, kind of like I do in my show, right? Okay. <laughs> so I was like, Washington Examiner, right? Something tells me you should be defunded, right? Because they're they're not who they're pretending to be fair and balanced, but they're calling uh, they're calling people like Carrie Lake losers, right? They're calling uh, President Trump uh, um, they're calling President Trump uh, to blame for no 2022 midterm. They don't even acknowledge the election theft. They don't even acknowledge the rigging and the stealing, right? They don't even acknowledge the vote suppression that happened in Arizona, Washington Examiner. Okay. It's probably better that I get upset with an entity or an organization than an individual person. <laughs> Anyways, let's move away from this, ladies and gentlemen. That was just a segment of a speech. I was inclined to play the whole thing right now, ladies and gentlemen. But I was like, I forgot I'm putting on a show, right? For the rest of the people to see a broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but we can turn over to, uh, let's see here. I think we can go to our first President Trump Truths. Okay, I only got a few for you all this day to get uh, the show started. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how they go. I mean, you know what they're going to be about, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a very important day tomorrow. In fact, isn't President Trump also going to be giving remarks after, uh, after he is uh, in court tomorrow? We'll see how it goes, guys. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but let's go ahead and take a gander at the first truth for this session. Coming from the pages of President Trump's Truth Social account. And by the way, if you'd like to follow this broadcast over at Truth Social, you can do so by going to truthsocial.com slash at MRCTV underscore. MRCTV underscore. And, uh, you know. Uh, we 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 truth there, you know, a few times a week says here, virtually everyone is saying that the indictment is about election interference and should not have been brought except Bill Barr, a disgruntled former employee and lazy attorney general who was weak and totally ineffective. He does not mean what he's saying. It's just misinformation. Barr's doing it because he hates Trump for firing him. He was deathly afraid of the radical left when they said they would impeach him. He knows the indictment is bull. Turn off Fox News when that gutless pig is on. 
Now, there are members of my audience, including members of the C-Team, that I hope you guys are listening to the words of your president. You know how many Bill Barr's holdouts I've had in my audience over the years, right? They're like, no, 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 he's the B-2 bomber. That's what the question mark said. Sorry, not the question mark. That's what the magnifying glass known as Q said. The search symbol known as Q said, Bill Barr's the B-2 bomber. I mean, it never said he was the B-2 bomber. I don't think, I don't know. But like, there were a lot of Bill Barr holdouts. And I was like, his daddy worked with Epstein. Bill Barr worked with H.W. Bush in his first administration. Do you really think he could have turned over a new leaf? He could have. Maybe that's why President Trump is always emphasizing, highlighting how Bill Barr, the B2 big booby bomber, Billiam Barr, who has, I have no love for him here, right? The big old beluga well, B2 big booby, big ass bomber. Okay. <laughs> no love for Barr here, right? Okay. You know, like, uh, you can, no, ladies and gentlemen, no. Okay. I mean, clearly the reason why I think President Trump keeps emphasizing that he was a coward and that Bill Barr was afraid and that Bill Barr didn't want to get, it wasn't the impeachment. Okay. You know what I think it was? And this is just speculation. Please don't go off saying, you know, I have secret intel that says they had dirt on Bill Barr. Okay. Cause that's not what I'm saying. And I'm not your secret intel either. Okay. <laughs> they probably had dirt on Bill Barr. I mean, his daddy worked with Epstein in the seventies. I mean, come on. Right. Like, Okay, so just because his dad worked with Epstein in the 70s doesn't mean that there's a connection that has anything to do with blackmailable material or data. But do you think that maybe it's possible in some realm or spectrum that they did have dirt on Bill Barr and that's the reason why he was such a coward? And that's the reason why he was deathly afraid of the radical left because they're like, oh yeah, well, we're gonna, we're gonna tell on you, Bill Barr, if you don't go along with what we want. I don't know. I honestly, honestly, I don't see Bill Barr as being that person. I mean, his family ties to establishment monsters goes pretty far back, okay? And what what Bill Barr did for uh, Daddy Bush, you know, Bush Sr., and for his, you know, administration, what with I mean, it was uh, it was basically on Bill Barr's recommendation on his legal writing that uh, the United States of America took in another president, arrested a president of another sovereign country because Bill Barr made a recommendation in a legal memo that didn't even say, yeah, I should do it. But this is the legal memo. OK, like Bill Barr's been in there with the establishment for a long time. He was in there so deep and so long that, yeah, he could have been he could have been a pivotal source of information had he turned over a leaf. Now, I'm willing to bet there are members of my audience who've been here for a long time. You know, the Bill Barr holdouts are going to say, wait, Mr. C, just wait and see what he does. But, you know, I mean, hey, it's a valid point. You, I would not be surprised at this day and age if Katie Hobbs was a sleeper agent for the Patriots and was just there to make the Democrats look so ridiculous in Arizona that that we would reveal the stupidity of the people more so than we would the corruption of the uh, administration, right? <laughs> I'm just, you know, speaking extemporaneously here now, guys. So don't take it to heart. Don't take it personal. And, you know, I'm never talking about my audience whenever I say these things. I'm talking about the general. Okay, all right. My audience would never reflect 
my sentiments. I promise. Unless I'm saying I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Okay. All right. Here's the next uh, statement from President Trump. The next truth. Hard to believe that the leading candidate by far of the opposition party got indicted. This is strictly world, a third world. Make America great again. Okay. So, I mean, of yes, yes. Yes. You know what? Like I just said, nothing surprises me anymore. Okay. I'm not surprised that President Trump has been indicted again. Okay. Again. Okay. And that's the thing, though, is, you know, what I'm thinking is like if, you know, diehard patriots who would not even submit to a former reality star because they believe that he's with the establishment and the globalists at root. If people like us could turn when we started realizing how the uh, machinery was turning on him, like the whole deep state globalist predator apparatus went after Donald Trump, right? Because he was not part. Of, and, you know, we've heard that. I was just listening to an interview. I'm saying all of this stuff is resurfacing. And you know what? I would heed to my audience. Because my audience is great at, you know, finding memes, making memes, posting memes, researching videos, finding videos, sharing videos, finding information, researching transcripts. I would suggest go back to 2015-16 and, and in that period find all of the videos and memes that people were making that talks about like, you know, the deep state, the um, election rigging, that talks about Hillary Clinton. All of that's coming back up again, guys. It's all coming back up again, you know, and I was just watching stuff this weekend that was going over all of this. It was really kind of cool to see it coming out, out again because it's very, it's very pertinent to what's happening right now. Like it's, it relates directly to what we're seeing. Like I have a feeling we're going to start seeing some, a lot of Hillary Clinton stuff coming up again, Right. And then over in my audience, ladies and gentlemen, at pill.net, uh, one of the members of the C team says, oh, what did you just report here? Where did it go? Where did it go? Okay, <laughs> Sean Joe says B2 bomber. Where? Okay. <laughs> Thanks for gifting the cookie, Sean Joe. Thank you so much. Sean Joe says, I was listening to Greg Kelly, New York radio, and he said he was hearing reports that Hillary was rushed to the hospital from her Chappaqua home. So I don't know if that's, I don't, I mean, I, I was not prepared to speak about this today, Mr. Sean Joe, but thank you for breaking that news here because <laughs> I don't break news. Okay. I just share it. Okay. But that's breaking news. Okay. So I don't know. We could dig into that right now, but uh, we're going to move forward. You know, like I said, we're going to move forward. We had, um, we had this happening. Uh, it's like it's not surprising to see third world third world country. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, seeing President Trump indicted again, not a surprise. Okay, not a surprise. You know, you know the phrase that is starting to come to mind, right, ladies and gentlemen. You guys know this phrase, okay? You guys know this phrase. Now, President Trump comes up with the most clever nicknames. They're the kind of nicknames that just stick right? The kind of nicknames that just stick, right? Crooked Hillary, Sleepy Joe, Low Energy Jeb, uh, Watermelon Head Adam Schiff, right? Crying, uh, what, is that? what is the name of that guy that cries? <laughs> crying Chuck Schumer, right? All of these, I just love how he makes up these like, he makes up these like gangster names, like these Dick Tracy gangster names for like the DC cartel, right? 
Well, you guys have all heard the phrase Teflon Dawn, right? I mean, let's let's see it, guys. Can we get some Teflon Dawn memes out there? Because if this one don't stick, ain't nothing ever going to stick again. You know, and that's the thing. Like, I was kind of wondering, are they indicting President Trump too early? Because this is not going to stick. I mean, they're going to try and make it stick. Okay. They are going to try to make it stick. But like, it's not. Okay. I mean, even the court of public opinion is already stacked against the establishment on this one, guys. I mean, even the court of public opinion is already stacked. So did they play their hands too soon? You know, I mean, they're still going to do it. They're still going to try and arrest him. They're still going to try and get him into a perp walk. We may even see a perp walk. We might see President Trump in, in handcuffs. That's what they want. That's the visual they're going for. They want to ruin this man and make him unelectable. But they are only, they are stuffing his ballot box as we speak. The Democrats, the radical left, the communists are literally stuffing President Trump's ballot box by doing this. So I don't know what they're thinking that they're going to get out of it. <laughs> it's like President Trump said, yep, my poll numbers are even higher now. And according to the Washington Examiner, you know, uh, my my uh, campaign funding's through the roof, right? Okay, so I don't know what they're thinking here, guys. These, these people are ridiculous, okay? And uh, you know what? their uh their treason is showing right okay next statement next truth from president trump the desanctimonious polls are crashing because of his stance on obliterating social security and medicare nothing he will ever do is going to change his votes against attracting small crowds that leave early never a good sign <laughs> Man, if Ron DeSanctimonious did not feel small, yet, he's going to feel pretty small. I mean, word on the street is the establishment uh, Republicans, the establishment rhinos, of our, they're already losing faith in Ron DeSantis, ladies and gentlemen. Ron, I change my name in the middle of a campaign DeSantis, right? Like, and we're not even really in campaign season, right? I think President Trump, he even said that, I think in North Carolina, he's like, you know, campaign season hasn't really started yet. Campaign season, unfortunately, for those who are running against President Trump, began the moment he said, I'm running for president, right? You know, a few months ago. <laughs> It's amazing, you know, was it just after the uh, the uh, midterm elections, right? It was more than a few months ago. That's when campaign season started, okay? Like, these people who are used to their lazy political campaign seasons where they can, you know, go and campaign for like a month before, you know, the voters hit the polls and then, you know, things will just happen the way they're supposed to because they're selected. They're not elected because there are people who already know who's going to be in, in charge and in power and it has nothing to do with the voters' choice, okay? It has nothing to do with the voters' choice. Um, but those people, the Nikki Haley's and the Ron DeSantis's and the Ada Hutchinson's, that's right, Ada, not Asa, the Ada Hutchinson's of the world, ladies and gentlemen, they had to start campaigning already. Okay, campaign season began for them in 2020. <laughs> and then the fools, the fools who betrayed the only man, the man who either got them their office or who uh, actually made inroads on restoring this republic, 
the fools turn on him. Anyways, that's gratitude, ladies and gentlemen. That's gratitude. Um, yeah, attracting small crowds that leave early is never a good sign. DeSantis, I think, is going to be out. And that's why, like, the fake influ well, the influencers, no, because they are influencers, okay? They're there to influence people and weak-minded voters and low-information voters and low-information patriots and uh, and good-feeling, good, fair-weather patriots, right? That's who they're there to influence, right? That's who these, they are there. That's why they are called influencers. I've, I've always objected to the word influence in my life. I think all the way back to when I was in high school, you know, it was more about inspiration for me, not influence. Right. So whenever like, you know, the greater world and society decided to call people on the internet influencers, I had an issue with that. And I still have an issue with that. I don't believe in that shit, but like, um, you know, that's why these people, have, what are they going to do? All of the people who, I mean, I'm not talking about the small time peeps. I'm talking about the people who get like tens of thousands of followers and views, millions of views, tens of, you know, the bigger, the big boys, right? Those are the ones along with some of the smaller units that at least in my purview and in my experience are working on, you know, not for the people. Okay. They're not being exactly a hundred percent. Uh, with their intentions, you know, but they're not going to know what to do because they're supposed to be going for DeSantis and crapping on Trump. And you notice even some of the ones who were crapping on Trump, like whenever he released his um, his tr um, uh, his NFT trader cards, I call them trader cards because all the traders showed their face then. They were all the ones who were talking shit about Trump, right? And then, of course, the ones who were talking shit about Trump, like the Washington Examiner for the 2022 midterms, who made it a point to run nothing but stories that crapped on Trump and blamed him for the 2022 non-red wave, ignored all of the election fraud, and then puffed up Ron DeSantis the same on election night. This happened. Go read their 2022 midterm blog. It's there, okay? We reported on this when it happened, guys. So they're all going to start showing themselves. They're all going to start showing their faces and stuff like that. They've already been doing it. Okay. They've already been doing it, but even they don't know what to do because DeSantis is out. Okay. Do you think you're going to see DeSantis make it to the 2024 deadline? I mean, the, to, to the, I don't see him even getting close to the finish line. I feel like DeSantis is going to give out before 2023 is over. Okay, because he's as low energy as Jeb, ladies and gentlemen. And based on the campaign uh, slogans and the campaign ads I've seen from Ron DeSantis, Jeb Bush might as well be running his campaign. Okay. <laughs> Oh, so sorry for Ron DeSantis. You hired low energy Jeb to run your campaign. That's your problem, sir. If you're having buyer's remorse, too bad. Okay. <laughs> too bad. Okay. I got one more truth from President Trump. I'm just going to pop in real quick to see what the peeps over at uh, Foxhole and Pilder saying. Uh, hey, Kiss. Good to see you hanging out today. We got several members of the C team in the audience. See, Aurelius Locke is still holding out on Bill Barr. <laughs> Hey, I can respect that Aurelius. Like I said, you know, there's even members of my audience. We don't always connect eye to eye, but hey, we're still in the same spirit. So that's always a great thing. Sean Joe says, Bill Barr was attorney general for Bush one in 1990. You cannot get dirtier than that. Thank you, Sean Joe. Okay. 
<laughs> and uh, of course, Aurelius Log. I have my theories. I have my theories. All right. Hey, you know what? I I'm all for Bill Barr being a like a secret sleeper double uh, B two bomber agent that's going to turn over a leaf, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm all for being wrong when it comes to things like that. Sean Joe says, plus Bill Barr was CIA while in a dirty dog. <laughs> Come into the light, Aurelius. Read that truth again. Pay attention to the quotes and the one line in the middle misinformation. Oh, man. We've got a war developing in my chat room over at pill.net, y'all. Okay. All right, guys. I just love. I just love that you guys are able to have that conversation, and uh, and y'all are enjoying the show. Okay, let's read this next truth from President Trump. Now, this is an interesting one. Okay, remember, guys. The closer we get to restoring our republic, the closer we get, the more funny things we'll start to see. Okay, that's one of my mantras, right? You know, we will start to see funnier things. We're going to start to see uh, political figures we thought we could trust turn coat. Uh, we're going to start to see uh, politicians and uh, other representatives make weird decisions. We're going to start seeing situations where it's like, well, you know, there's time delays, all of this stuff, right? The closer we get to restoring this republic, the more will be revealed, okay? This is almost the perfect case in point, okay? Almost the perfect case in point. My heart goes out to my Oklahoma, uh, my Oklahoma audience. You guys know who you are, okay? You guys know who you are because they've talked to me about their governor. They've talked to me about how he's good. I've seen the bills and the legislation that happen in the Oklahoma State House. They're on it, okay? I mean, when we're talking about, you know, a legislative body that is more in line with their voters and the grassroots, you're looking at the Oklahoma State House. That's one of those, right? Now, I don't know everything about Oklahoma State politics, so I'm not going to try and puff them up too much. But from the feedback I've gotten from my audience, I would say they were one of the better ones. Now, hear this, ladies and gentlemen. Now, hear this. As we get closer to restoring the Republic, more rhinos will unmask themselves. And while some people might find it totally arbitrary to say something like, oh, if they oppose Trump, you should not vote for them. Or, oh, if they oppose Trump, then they're not for saving America and they're not for restoring the republic. That might sound arbitrary and flippant. But ladies and gentlemen, we're at a point in our nation's history where that is the, that is the frame that fits perfectly to make this pass, okay? We are at a point in our nation's history. We have someone who's running for president, who's proven himself, who has done more of what he promised to do than any other political figure in my lifetime and probably yours, okay? Who has not only the right rhetoric, he also has the right actions that match the rhetoric. Now, you listen to any politician in the last two to three decades. If you were to put them on mute, and silence their words and watch their actions, you would find that their actions do not match their rhetoric, okay? There are very, very few political leaders that we can say their actions actually match their words, ladies and gentlemen. I could have put President Trump on mute and I would have known exactly what he stood for by watching his actions, you know, whereas others were far off and far between between them actually landing on the promises that they've made, you know? The closer we get to restoring our republic, ladies and gentlemen, the more rhinos will reveal themselves. Here's a truth from President Trump about the governor of Oklahoma. 
Governor Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, who I did not know very well, called me before his last election to say he was in big trouble and very much needed my endorsement. I love Oklahoma and won 77 out of 77 counties. Something never happened before. Ronald Reagan was next with 56. Anyway, I gave him my endorsement. He immediately went way up and won. Now, despite the fact that DeSanctimonious is losing to Biden and me, Stitt just endorsed him. Wow. He disliked the Indians and my great Senate pick. Isn't that amazing, ladies and gentlemen? Like I said, the closer we get to restoring our republic, I've seen this happen in my Texas State House, ladies and gentlemen. They can have the most perfect, infallible, immaculate conservative voting record. They can vote 100 out of 100 conservative every time, but that does not mean that they're not a rhino. Because the way that the chessboard is set up in local politics is they have the people that they put in front as supporters of the grassroots that the grassroots can rely on. They have people in the back who are going to be pulling the strings on legislation. So you're going to have your conservative grassroots re representatives out there who are talking to you like they represent you. But they already know that the bill that you want them to pass to, uh, I don't know, criminalize abortion is going to get killed in the Senate. So they can fight for it and make you believe that they fight for it. But someone else is going to take care of it down the road. So they'll just put up the front and make you believe that they are who that they say that they are. You know, that's what's happening. That's the deception level that we're seeing in our state house, the stuff that we're really needing to work up to. They're all fake. They're all fraudulent. They're all phonies, guys. None of them belong there. None of them deserve our good faith either. None of them. I mean, like for me in Texas, in my state house, I'm not even talking about my Senate. My state house and my representative state house, maybe two, maybe two of what used to be three, I could maybe give a good faith benefit of the doubt to. None of the other ones, none of the other ones. I'd be stupid to say, well, they had to compromise so this way they could get this done in my backyard. That's bullshit. At this point, that argument is bull, ladies and gentlemen. It's bull. It's 100% bull. You know, we don't have to put up with that. We don't have to compromise. They need to listen to their constituents, okay? They need to listen to those who that they represent instead of trying to make deals for themselves using using the veneer of taking care of my constituents or, or lying to them and saying, oh, well, I couldn't do that because I wanted to do this for you. And in order to do this for you, I had to cut out this for you. You know, no, 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 we don't got to do that crap anymore. That is all a facade. That's always been a lie. It's always been deception. That has been politics as usual, okay? That has been called politics. Not getting anything dumb, gumming up the works, and bottlenecking everyone's initiatives. That's politics as usual. That's the stuff that needs to stop. That's the stuff that needs to go away. That is what needs to change, ladies and gentlemen, when we're talking about the way things are in this society. Hmm. 
Alrighty, guys. <clears throat> Welcome on back. So that was our final Trump truth for this afternoon. Let's go ahead and jump into some of our stories for today. We're going to start off by talking about President Trump and his declassifying of the Crossfire Hurricane documents. Uh, now, of course, the indictment's not going to be unsealed and totally readable until tomorrow as far as what they're doing to President Trump. But what we have gathered through uh, some of the uh, documentation, some of the proceedings and a lot of what people are talking about in the mainstream, lamestream and around other news circuits and information circuits is that some of the documentation that they're most likely going after, some of the uh, unclassified documents that they're saying President Trump stole from the White House, uh, deal with Crossfire Hurricane, which of course would be the Russia, 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 Russian collusion hoax bit, you know. Um, and so uh, that is what this seems seemingly is circling around other other than the fact that, you know, they're claiming all these other documents, you know, in in the in the um, court of public um, public presumption uh, it, it is fallen into um, the specifics of the crossfire hurricane documents in other words were there was there information in these documents that they felt could not needed not to come out obviously if we're reading the durham report if we if we've been following the story from any amount of time you know that we know that yeah there's probably some information in those documents that are quite damning uh, president trump did declassify them uh, basically right as he was walking out of office right so that's what i want to talk about with you i want to let's let's look at the root of this okay let's let's give this audience a little bit of ammunition and a little bit of clarity and that was kind of like what my mission was for the story today so the first thing that i have for you guys is um president trump's plans for 2024, if he is convicted of crimes, okay, which we know he is innocent of. Um, this article comes from the Epoch Times. I still call it the Epoch Times, the Epic Times, okay? All right. I think it was Roman who called it the Epoch Times, and maybe it was just like a language thing. Anyways, the article goes this way from the Epic Times. It says, in an interview with Politico, the 45th president and current GOP frontrunner was asked about if he would drop out of the race if he is convicted in the case. Uh, Trump uh, stated that he believes he won't be convicted and does not plan on taking a plea deal with prosecutors. President Trump told Politico, I'll never leave. Look, if I would have left, I would have left prior to the original race in 2016. That was a rough one. In theory, that was not doable. The indictment unsealed Friday charges Trump with willfully defying Justice Department demands that he return classified documents enlisting aides in his effort to hide the records and allegedly telling his lawyers that he wanted to defy a subpoena for the materials stored at his residence. The indictment includes allegations that he stored documents in a ballroom and a bathroom at his Mar-a-Lago resort, among other places. The 49-page indictment centers on hundreds of classified documents that Trump took with him from the White House to Mar-a-Lago upon leaving office in January 2021. Even as tens of thousands of members and guests visited Mar-a-Lago between the end of Trump's presidency and August 2022, when the FBI obtained a search warrant, documents were recklessly stored in spaces uh, including a ballroom, a bathroom and shower and office space, his bedroom and a storage room. 
Now, that's according to their documents, ladies and gentlemen. The indictment claims that for a two-month period between January and March 15, 2021, some of Trump's boxes were stored in one of Mar-a-Lago's gilded ballrooms. A picture included in the indictment shows boxes stacked in rows on the ballroom's stage. Special counsel Jack Smith, whose presented charges against Trump were approved by a grand jury, said in a prepared remarks from Washington that our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States and they must be enforced and violations of those laws put our country at risk. Jack Smith added, we have one set of laws in this country and they apply to everyone except for the political predatory elite class but added the caveat that that Trump and others must be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Oh, you're going to give him that much, Jack Smith? Oh, Jack Smith, how generous of you to presume President Trump innocent until proven guilty. That's a higher standard than, you know, what was coming out of the words of like Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton, right? Anyways, oh yeah, we should all fawn over Jack Smith now, right? Because he's so blind to uh, justice. Trump is due to make his first federal court appearance Tuesday in Miami. He was charged alongside Valet uh, um, Walt Nada, a personal aide whom prosecutors say moved boxes from a storage room to Trump's residence for him to review and later lied to investigators about the movement. Nada traveled with Trump on Saturday, appearing by his side at a Georgia Waffle House stop where the former president, their words not mine, signed autographs, posed for photos, and told supporters we did absolutely nothing wrong. Uh, Trump told the reporters in a campaign stop, the ridiculous and baseless indictment by the Biden's administration's weaponized Department of Justice will go down as among the most horrific abuses of power in the history of our country. A legal analyst said that the federal government's case against Trump does not meet what I call the Richard Nixon standard, which was very clear obstruction of justice, destroying evidence, paying bribes, said Alan Dershowitz, a former a professor emeritus at Harvard Law School. During a Newsmax interview, Dershowitz stated this is too close a case to bring against the man running for president against the incumbent president. OK, Dershowitz. Whatever, Dersh. Um, so, you know, if you, if Dershowitz knew anything, right, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to like show up an emeritus professor at Harvard Law School, right? Okay. What did we read in the book, Vote Scam, The Stealing of America? We've got two more installments this week for Vote Scam, and we'll be finished with that book. We're doing a book reading at my channel also for those of you who are following or subscribing. But we read in Vote Scam. And, you know, I've never dug into Watergate. That's way before my time. Okay. I've never dug into Watergate. It's before my time. But we were reading in Vote Scam. And, you know, it's so funny because President Trump just talked about Watergate in North Carolina. Okay. What did he say about North Carolina and Watergate in North Carolina about Watergate? What did he say about the, the journalists who covered Watergate? What did he say about Bob Woodward? They're dirt bags. They're sleaze bags. Okay. And uh, Bob Woodward. Okay. If you guys are following along with vote scam, what did we find out about votes? That's what I'm saying, guys. Like vote scam has like all of these hidden Pulitzer, Pulitzer prizes in them. All of these hidden Pulitzers for people who want leads on stories that like will get them famous. I don't care. So I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing the stories with you guys. I don't care. I'm not going to write a story on it or investigate it. I mean, I do care, but I mean, I don't care about, you know, getting some kind of Pulitzer. So anyways, but like, you know, there's a story inside Vote Scam that talks about how uh, Catherine Graham, owner of the Washington Post, 
knew that she was in trouble if Nixon got in. So she had the, the Washington Post, right? Compost, right? The, the same story, same people, the Washington Post, right? It was all rigged, okay? And that they never, there were three or four reports that came out that showed that there was not a single thing bugged in the Watergate, okay, hotel. And Catherine Graham of the Washington Post still ran a story that said it was bugged and that one of her people found a bug inside a phone receiver. Okay. Even though there were four official reports that said they sweeped the Watergate up and down, left and right, inside and outside, and not a single bug was found. Catherine Graham of the Washington Compost was still able to find it. And Bob Woodward, the guy who lied about President Trump in his book. Okay, the same guy. These are the same characters. In fact, Bill Barr was involved in this in the vote scam in the 1990s. Robert Mueller was involved in the vote scam of the 1990s. So I'm not holding out for Bill Barr. Sorry, Aurelius Locke. But even in even in vote scam, he saw that the 1970s and 80s case of proven vote fraud on video was nothing. Okay, Bill Barr's never done anything good for this nation, in my opinion. Okay, but if the magic magnifying glass tells you to hold out for him. I will respect that, sir. Okay, I call Q the magic magnifying glass. I have this theory now that before Q was co-opted, I think I think the Q movement was co-opted at least twice since it's original. I think the original Q was meant to like, you know, uh, derail real patriots and then it was taken over by the military, right? And they made it real, okay? And then it was taken over again after President Trump got into office and Q was supposed to go away and then instead of all the people started just using it to make money on their shows. That's what I think happened. But I think, you know, I think it was, I think it was meant to be a big old magnifying glass that was telling Americans to go search. And then like the people who started it as this cult to derail Patriots, they made sure it went with Q and well, here we are, here we are today. I'm not going to blame it though. I mean, I'm not going to knock it. It woke up a lot of people. Okay. It woke up a lot of people. Okay. It made people go and search and look. So I'm not going to knock it. Okay. I just, that's kind of what I think it is at this point or some computer program, who knows? Anyways, okay, so um, getting back to this, uh, oh, the Alan Dershowitz thing, okay, I was going on about Alan Dershowitz. Um, yeah, so uh, the Bob Woodward, it was even Watergate, they say, was a fraud, okay, so Dershowitz, <laughs> stop prolonging the lie, right? Anyways, Trump, I don't even want to read what Dershowitz has to say. Okay, so let's go. Let's pass up what Dershowitz has to say. So it says here, Trump has said that he declassified documents before leaving office. Uh, presidents have the power of declassification. His lawyers have not included that claim in court filings related to the case. Makes you wonder about that, right? Makes you wonder where his lawyers really are, you know? It says other than 2024 candidates, um, other 2024 candidates have mostly publicly backed Trump after the indictment was unsealed, including his former vice president, Mike Pence, who on Saturday called on the Department of Justice to release more details about the unprecedented case against President Trump. Um, I don't care what Pence told the people in North Carolina. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said Friday that in response to the indictment, I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country. Uh, but of course, Ron DeSantis is probably going to say, oh, well, Jack Smith said that there's only one standard of justice. So I guess there's only one standard of justice, right? That's like a Jeb Bush answer, right? So, you know, all he needed was Jack Smith to clarify. I'm sure Ron DeSantis and Jeb Bush needed, you know, can we just start calling Ron DeSantis a Jeb Bush, you know? <laughs> Boy, I bet that would get under his skin. 
but Ron DeSantis, I guess, to his benefit, it's only because he doesn't want this to happen to him, right? If he becomes the establishment Republican, uh, you know, candidate, uh, that he described it as a weaponization of federal agencies. That was Ron DeSanctimonious, ladies and gentlemen. Not much to care about at this point in regards to what that man has to say. But uh, anyhow, guys. All right. So here's here's the thing, right? What is it that they're fighting over now? Clearly, this uh, article that we just shared from the Epic Times about President Trump's uh, plans mentioned the Crossfire Hurricane documents, mentioned the declassification documents. So let's talk a little bit about those documents. Now, uh, you see this, this uh, particular document I'm going to share with you guys now has been making the rounds, as I believe it should. And, um, you know, if you're a member of the audience, you probably remember I shared this with you guys at some point because we were covering the Crossfire Hurricane National Archives um, a situation back in 2021 here, right? Whenever they started first talking about it. Okay, because NARA's been after him, like it said, to the point you, we were talking about NARA going woke like a long time ago here on this channel. Who would have thought that it would have come into this big of a story? Like back then when I reported on it, when I shared the information with you guys about NARA going woke, I never saw this coming. I never saw that that they were going to use NARA and all of this to go after President Trump. So there's that, right? You know, um, but here is a documentation, um, presidential memorandum. Okay. Uh, and the memorandum says this is dated January 19th. 2021. So yes, it was, it was, you know, 11th hour declassification on the part of the Trump administration, basically as he was walking out the door. Right. But, you know, when we're talking about that quip that everyone in the mainstream lamestream keeps going after, oh, president Trump thinks he can just declassify things in his dreams. Oh, president thinks that he can declassify things through osmosis. Oh, president Trump just seems to think, right. You know, and, and President Trump's response, like I could think it and it would happen. Yeah, he was being facetious. Yeah, he was being smart. In my opinion, he was because it's a moot non-point. OK, everybody knows that presidents have this prerogative, ladies and gentlemen. But he actually released a memorandum, memorandum on declassification of certain materials related to FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation. Now, granted, Jack Smith and his prosecutorial slaves will probably uh, come up with some other documentation that's not having anything to do with crossfire hurricane because the minute that people get a lead or they get a sniff uh, they get a scent on the truth they've got to go and create other lies right to make them uh seem like they're still in the right because some people have mental issues like that right they always got to be right memorandum for the attorney general the director of national intelligence the director of the central intelligence agency subject declassification of certain materials related to the FBI's crossfire hurricane investigation by the authority vested in me as president by the constitution and the laws of the United States of America. I hereby direct the following section one declassification and release at my request on December 30, 2020, the department of justice provided the white house with a binder of materials related to the federal bureau of investigations, crossfire hurricane investigation. Now, Hear this, ladies and gentlemen, the Department of Justice 
themselves are the ones who provided this information to President Trump and his administration. Keep that in mind. Okay. It was the DOJ who gave it to them, right? Portions of the documents in the binder have remained classified and have not been released to the Congress or the public. I requested the documents so that a declassification review could be performed and so I could determine to what extent materials in the binder should be released in unclassified form. I determined that the materials in that binder should be declassified to the maximum extent possible. In response and as part of the uh, iterative process, iterative process of the de declassification review under a cover letter, dated January 17, 2021, the Federal Bureau of Investigation noted its continuing objection to any further declassification of the materials in that binder and also on the basis of a review that included intelligence community equities, identified the passages that it believed it was most crucial to keep from public disclosure. I have determined to accept the redactions proposed for continued classification by the FBI in that January 17 submission. So the FBI said there's uh, national security um, interests in this document that need to stay redacted. The president agreed to it. It says, I hereby declassify the remaining materials in the binder. This is my final determination under the declassification review, and I have directed the attorney general to implement the redactions proposed in the FBI's January 17th submission and return to the White House an appropriately redacted copy. My decision to declassify materials within the binder is subject to the limits identified above and does not extend to materials that must be protected from disclosure pursuant to orders of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance at Court and does not require the disclosure of certain person personally identifiable information or any other materials that must be protected from disclosure under applicable law. Accordingly, at my direction, the Attorney General has conducted an appropriate review to ensure that materials provided in the binder may be disclosed by the White House in accordance with applicable law. Section 2. General Provisions. A. Nothing in this memorandum shall be construed to impair or otherwise affect 1. The authority granted by law to an executive department or agency or head thereof or 2. The functions of the director of the office of management and budget relating to budgetary administrative or legislative proposals. Uh, B. This memorandum shall be implemented consistent with applicable law and subject to the availability of um, app appropriations. C. This memorandum is not intended to and does not create any right or benefit, substantive or procedural, enforceable at law or in equity by any party against the United States and its departments, agencies or entities, its officers, employees or agents or any other person. D. The Attorney General is authorized and directed to publish this memorandum in the Federal Register. Signed, Donald J. Trump. So that is the piece of documentation that we all bore witness to back in the day. I'm sure many of you guys out there remember that. Okay. It sounds like I remember sharing this and then like they're going after him for this. Really? Like... He had made this release, okay? So, you know, and obviously that would cause a lot of people to wonder, you know, especially because what we're seeing in the mainstream lamestream is, of course, that uh, President Trump had no right to declassify. He never declared declassification. He never took the proper steps to declassify. All of that jargon, right? All of that jargon. 
Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, there is another article out here I just found. This one was from the Washington Examiner, as I mentioned. Okay. Go figure. The Washington Examiner would write an article like this. Okay. Uh, let me see what the title of this article was. Now, keep in mind, guys, that when you're talking about the Washington Examiner and you're looking at them in this format, you got to scroll for a mile. Okay. Just to see it. So final Trump declassification request to the DOJ blocked after he left the White House. So here's the portion where we're talking about the angle that the uh, a criminal department of justice is going at, right? This is why the mainstream lamestream keeps on giving us their story. So I thought I would illuminate this uh, portion or this segment of this case for the audience. Why is it that even though we as Americans know and we've been following this and we saw the presidential memorandum. Why is it that they keep on claiming? What is giving Jack Smith the ability to say, no, he didn't declassify those and they were never approved for declassification? Because of this story here, ladies and gentlemen, um, the DOJ blocked their requests. And, you know, this was not a part of the official canon of the um, stolen elections in 2020. But some of the word around the water cooler was that while President Trump was in his final moments, optically speaking, in office, um, uh, instead of doing the work, instead of doing the Lord's work, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Barr was actually like, you know, um, uh, finalizing and signing all of uh, the 40 or 50 executive orders that Biden did on day one in office. Like that's the reason why Bill Barr couldn't be bothered, you know, because there was another coup that was happening. There were several coups that happened in 2020 guys. And one of the coups that was successful, one of the coups that actually occurred that what I mean, actually what am I saying? Right. The Biden regime stole the office. That was another, that was another coup that was successful. But the other one was the administrative coup. Okay. The other one was the administrative coup that took place. And that one was successful when all of the work started getting gummied up, when all the things started bottlenecking, when president Trump's trying to get these documents declassified, but yet they're not, it's not happening. It's because Bill Barr and all of the bureaucrats of Washington, D.C. and the administrators, they had their own coup going on. I actually covered this, guys, back when the show first started. Now, the video footage, the documentation, the research, the maps, all of the uh, the secret uh, the secret intel that, that, that was procured came from uh, Tori Says and Millie Weaver, right? And I did a three-part three article on that entire coup. It's over at thecreport.com, and maybe I'll publish it over at my locals sometime. I told you I, I also write articles here and there, scattered throughout, and you know there's a whole bunch of them over on the website. I just published my first one over at locals. Um, so if you have a locals account, you can catch it for free. You can follow for free. Join the cteam.locals.com today. You can go check it out. My articles over um, um, the uh, Carrie Lake uh, trial case, and uh, anyways, so that's not the point. Uh, getting back to the point, though. Um, so we had these declassification requests being blocked. There was a bureaucratic coup that also took place in 2020 that was successful. Okay. So, um, this is, this is the impetus here. Now, isn't it funny? It's the Washington examiner that's making sure America knows, right? The Washington examiners making, making sure America knows that it's okay for the DOJ to illegally pursue Donald Trump in their, their, their umpteenth witch hunt because the DOJ blocked 
the DOJ block the declassification. Okay, so let's get into it. This is information maybe some of you guys are not aware of. Maybe it's an angle that you've been wondering about. So let's check this article I found out in this traitorous magazine uh, known as the Washington Examiner. They pretend to be what they're not, fair and balanced. Nope, nope, they're not fair and balanced. They don't even cover election theft over at Washington Examiner. So uh, that's about as much love as I have for them. Here's the article. It says, uh, former president, they would say that, Donald Trump's final declassification request was blocked by the Justice Department after he left the White House. New records reveal. This article came out in uh, the summer of 2022. Uh, the memo by Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows that was delivered on the morning of January 20, 2020, noted the Justice Department must release the binder of declassified documents about that flawed Trump-Russia investigation following a Privacy Act review. The Justice Department under Attorney General Merrick Garland does not appear to have released the records despite the declassification order from Trump and the last-minute memo from Meadows. Republicans have also been pushing Garland to make the records public since early 2021 to no avail. The January 20, 2021 memo was made public by Just the News after a visit to Trump uh, to the Trump collection at the National Archives. So uh, here's that memorandum from uh, Mark Meadows. We'll go ahead and review it. Uh, this is dated January 20, 2021. Subject, Privacy Act Review of Certain Declassified Materials Related to the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane Investigation. It says, by memorandum dated January 19, 2021, the president declassified certain materials related to the Federal Bureau of Investigation's Crossfire Hurricane Investigation. The president's memorandum specifically stated, my decision to declassify materials within the binder subject to the limits protected from disclosure pursuant to orders of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court and does not require the disclosure of certain personally identifiable information or any other materials that must be protected from disclosure under applicable law, emphasis added. Based on directions provided to the Department of Justice and our understanding that a review for the protecting privacy interests had been conducted by the Department of Justice and the additional redactions to protect um, privacy interests had been applied to the materials, the president also stated, at my discretion, the attorney general has conducted an appropriate review to ensure that the materials provided in the binder may be disclosed by the White House in accordance with applicable law. We understand that the Office of Legal Counsel has advised that the Privacy Act does not apply to the White House and thus would not apply to any disclosure of documents by the White House. Nevertheless, we do not intend to disclose materials that would violate the standards of the Privacy Act and, in particular, materials uh, materials the disclosure of which could constitute an unwarranted invasion of personal privacy. Accordingly, I am returning the bulk of the binder of declassified documents to the Department of Justice, including all that appear to have a potential to raise privacy concerns, with the instruction that the department must exp expeditiously conduct a Privacy Act review um, under the standards that the Department of Justice would normally apply, redact material appropriately, and release the remaining materials with redactions applied. And uh, that was the memo. Okay, so I just wanted to share. I'm just I'm just covering our bases here, guys, as we go through this information. 
Um, so let's go back to the article. So now, as you guys can see, President Trump had, um, you know, declared them to be um, un, uh, declassified, right? And then we have the the Department of Injustice um, um, holding up the water. And so Meadows has to get involved. And that's uh, where we'll pick up here. It says now Meadows told the DOJ, the Office of Legal Counsel, had said the Privacy Act does not apply to the White House. OK, the Trump chief of staff nevertheless asked the DOJ to review the records for anything that might run afoul of the spirit of the privacy law. <clears throat> it says there remains there remains an air of mystery about the documents covered by Trump's own 11th hour declassification memo on the day before Biden's inauguration. The memo mentioned a binder of materials related to the Crossfire Hurricane investigation that Trump said the Justice Department provided to the White House at his request on December 30, 2020. Uh, Trump had said on January 19th, again, I hereby declassify the remaining materials in the binder. Okay, we know what he said, so I'm not going to read it. It says here, the memo from Trump noted he had determined that the materials should be declassified to the maximum extent possible. The FBI said in mid-January 2021 that the Bureau had identified the passages that it believed it was most crucial to keep from public disclosure. Trump said that at the time he would accept the redactions proposed for continued declass continued classification by the FBI and ordered the rest of the documents to be declassified and made available by the Justice Department. That has not happened. Meadows provided insights into the declassification struggle within the Trump administration in his 2021 book. Meadows wrote, the DOJ or the FBI would consistently push back when he asked for the remaining documents to be declassified. In these final weeks, when the president's request was once again ignored, he demanded that these documents be brought to the White House, and I personally went through every page to make sure that the president's declassification would not inadvertently disclose sources and methods. DOJ had finally allowed key documents to be declassified, and yet, minutes before Joe Biden would be sworn in, they were trying to redact information they had just provided. Senator Chuck Grassley and Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin have been pushing for answers from the Biden DOJ since early 2021 and said in February that Garland told them the review was ongoing. They told the attorney general that the DOJ has not only failed to declassify a single page, the department has failed to identify for Congress records that uh, it knows with certainty to be covered by the declassification directive. Grassley's office told the Washington Examiner on Wednesday that the senator continues to call on the Justice Department to release the documents and that his staff sought clarity this week on whether DOJ ever even conducted the initial step of the privacy review directed to be done in January 2021. Trump had repeatedly called for all of the Russia investigation documents to be made public. Um, President Trump had said, I have fully authorized the total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to the single greatest political crime in American history, the Russia hoax. Likewise, the Hillary Clinton email scandal. No redactions. And uh, President Trump did add that all Russia hoax scandal information was declassified by me long ago. 
And of course, uh, the Washington Examiner will cover for the DOJ by saying the Justice Department told the court. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's the minutia, but it's important. Right. The president's recent statements on Twitter referencing the declassification of information were not an order to the Department of Justice to declassify the materials. Um, and then, of course, Meadows did uh, tell the judge that the tweets were not in order for declassification. Anyways, you know, I'm biased. What can I say? <laughs> I'm biased. What can I say, ladies and gentlemen? I'm biased. So there you go. There's a little bit of a nutshell for you guys. There's a little bit of a nutshell. So in case you're wondering on your part, how it is, other than the fact that they're absolutely corrupt, right? Other than the fact that they are absolutely corrupt, in case you're wondering what legal basis, you know, uh, Jack Smith and the communists of the Democrat Party have for going after President Trump. Well, there you are. Because like I said, there was also a bureaucratic coup that took place in D.C. around that time. And slowing down the paperwork was a huge part of that. And uh, I think based on what we've read here, ladies and gentlemen, we can agree with that because they slowed down the paperwork on the declassification process. Now they were able to get Trump in this manufactured pickle that we are currently seeing happening right now. Alrighty, guys, that's going to bring us to the next uh, the next portion of today's episode. Hey, Railing On, what's going on? Pilled Admin, how are you doing? Good to see you all. AZ Red, good to have you in the audience as well. Godspeed. God SPQ said, <laughs> I can't read your name. Sorry. All right, guys. Okay, thanks for being here again today. And uh, for all of you who are participating, hanging out in the chat room, etc. I got someone else hanging out over at Rumble. They say, uh, BJ Logan 182 says, you clowns know this is all theater, right? Oh, oh, thank you for the enlightening uh, comment there, Mr. BJ. He says, you know, this is all theater, right? Like getting all worked up over which WWE Richler is wrestler is the best. Okay. I haven't watched WWE since I was like, I haven't watched WWE since it was the WWF and, you know, Undertaker was actually cool. Um, silly sheep. I mean, you know, you can say what you say, BJ Logan. Do you have, do you have like a solution then? Or do you have an alternative that I as a silly sheep, bah, bah, can like go to instead, right? Do you have an alternative? Should we just give up on America? Should we just give up on fighting for this Republic? I mean, I don't think that's what you're saying, BJ Logan 182 of, of uh, Rumble. But, you know, I'm just trying to figure, instead of name calling and, and saying obvious things to my audience and myself, why don't you have like kind of a solution there? You know, that's all I'm saying, right? You know, <laughs> we like solving problems with solutions, okay? And, you know, we like counterpoints that aren't empty. 
right? Like to actually have like something else to say. All right. So let's talk about this. Uh, we've been circling the wagon on um, JP Morgan and um, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, and, you know, it's great to see a lot more people are talking about this story now than were in the past few weeks and months. Um, but uh, a new development has come forward. And uh, that would be, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard, I mean, people are actually reporting on it. So that's kind of cool, uh, is that J.P. Morgan has decided to go ahead and settle with their victim. Now, this does not close this trial and does not close the case. I mean, you hear the word settle and you think it's done, right? And so now everyone's just going to stop paying attention to it. No, it just has to do with the victim, Jane Doe, and the fact that the J.P. Morgan Chase has now agreed to a settlement for victims, okay? It's not over yet, guys. It's not over yet. So uh, we're just going to do a quick catch-up and get you guys uh, in the, uh, the know, familiar with some of what is happening. Uh, this article is coming out of the Enemy Papers. BBC, J.P. Morgan agrees to settle the lawsuit brought by Jeffrey Epstein, victim. So let's see what this has to say for us. Okay, and uh, it goes this way. J.P. Morgan has reached an agreement. Oh, they've reached an agreement, have they? In principle, to settle a lawsuit brought on behalf of an alleged victims of convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. Attorneys for the bank said it was in the best interest of all parties, especially the survivors who were the victims of Epstein's terrible abuse. The lawsuit had alleged the largest U.S. bank ignored warning signs about its client, about its client during its 15-year relationship. The terms of the settlement have not yet been disclosed. Lawyers for the bank said in a statement uh, today, we all now understand that Epstein's behavior was monstrous. Any association with him was a mistake and we regret it. We would never have continued to do business with him if we believed he was using our bank in any way to help commit heinous crimes. The settlement follows weeks of embarrassing revelations about the extent of J.P. Morgan's relationship with the late financier. Late last month, longtime chief executive Jamie Dimon provided a formal statement under oath for the case and what turned out to be a day-long deposition from the bank's headquarters in New York. Lawyers representing the unnamed accuser who filed the suit, identified only as Jane Doe, one, asked a federal judge on Friday to allow them to take new testimony from Mr. Diamond. They also asked to reopen depositions for three other key witnesses in the case. Another lawsuit filed against the bank late last year in federal court is still pending. That case was brought on behalf of the government of the U.S. Virgin Islands, where Epstein owned a private island with a mansion. The financier kept hundreds of millions of dollars in more than 50 accounts at J.P. Morgan between 1998 and 2013, five years after he pleaded guilty to soliciting a minor for prostitution. He was found dead, apparently. Okay, the Jane Doe 1 case or the lawsuit said that J.P. Morgan knowingly facilitated, sustained, and concealed the frequent cash withdrawals Epstein made to pay the young women he trafficked while profiting from the deals and clients that the financier brought in. The bank, which earlier failed to dismiss the dual suits, has countered that any civil liability should rest with Jess Staley, a former top executive who befriended Epstein. Mr. Staley has said his former employer is trying to deflect blame for its own failures and sought to dismiss the claims, but the com complaint against him remains active. Last month, 
Deutsche Bank, where Epstein was a client after he left J.P. Morgan in 2013, settled for $75 million with Epstein accusers. To date, the Epstein estate has made paid out more than $150 million uh, to more than 100 of its victims. All right, guys. So that's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty interesting catch up there. Like I said, you know, some people might be like, what does that mean that the case is over? Uh, there are several, several cases happening right now in regard to, well, okay, I say several, 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 like there's 20. Okay, so it's like three. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, this one might be biting the dust as far as that goes. Um, I always feel kind of weird about settlements, but that's just me, though. I mean, I cannot speak. I, I really don't feel like I could speak towards it other than like my disappointment that it's it's kind of like silencing the victims and it's it to me it assists you know the perpetrators with settlements but you know again i've never been in that i've never been in their shoes or in their circumstance to know i would just hope that it's not detrimental uh to the other victims who are seeking justice whenever they have these type of settlement things um they did agree the judge also did agree to turn it into a class action so uh, i don't know if that was here in the in the paperwork. Did we say that? Uh, Cause that's what I had read that they, the courts had also agreed to allow it to be a class action lawsuit. So this way other, other victims of uh, Jeffrey Epstein by way of JP Morgan and the Virgin islands, or at least in that territory could also uh, seek some type of compensation uh, for the crimes committed against them. Uh, but that was, that was a ruling that also landed on Monday or today as well. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, in, in that so just a real quick catch up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this case as things develop or as I see, uh, as I see necessary. Uh, like again, we had an argue, an article coming out, uh, about a week and a half or so ago, maybe a little bit more where we had the Epic times running a puff piece on Jamie Dimon. In other words, they were, they were writing a piece that was talking about how he loves America, right? And how America is the land of the great opportunity. They were writing a puff piece on Jamie Dimon. And then a week later, it comes out that he's thinking about running for president. Okay. Good job, Epic Times. Good job writing a puff piece for someone who assisted in one of the largest human trafficking uh, rackets, uh, criminal syndicates on this planet, the Epic Times, who are against communists, right, are writing puff pieces for people like Jamie Dimon. You see what I'm saying? The closer we get to restoring our republic, the funnier things get. The, the stranger ways that people act, the stranger things that these people do, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. If you're going to be writing a puff piece for Simon, who has a Texas and Florida connection, what are we going to have? Trump versus Diamond for the, for the Republican uh, primaries? I mean, what is that going to look like, right? I don't know. Good job. Good job. Epic Times on writing a, a puff piece on a, a co-conspirator of Jeffrey Epstein's. Gotta be proud you guys do. All right, let's move on to some stateside news. Now, here's a story that we've been following for a minute, but we haven't talked about in two minutes. Uh, now, this has to do with uh, the move to have a greater Idaho. How many of you guys are familiar with this story? There are currently two states in play that are trying to, um, um, well, they're trying to rewrite their borders. They're trying to secede from the state that is bringing them down. And they're trying to create a state that aligns with the values of the voters 
in them. And uh, so that would be California and New California, which we'll probably talk about at a separate time. But now we have the state of Greater Idaho. So for those of you who are not aware of what's going on in the great Northwest of America, uh, we have some borders that are looking to be written. Now, a lot of people are very cynical about these types of things. A lot of people are very, very pessimistic about these types of things. They seem to forget that West Virginia went through the same process and it was successful, even though it was like, what, like decades ago. So the last time we had a border rewrite uh, of states in this nation was, I think, like 150 or 60 years ago. Okay. 150 or 60 years ago. So it makes sense to say that a lot of people in America would be, you know, they'd be a little questioning about whether states can actually change their borders, right? Well, it's happening. There is a process for it to happen. And uh, that's the process that has been uh, going, uh, going through in the state of Oregon and the state of Idaho and the state of California, respectively. Uh, we're going to focus on the Greater Idaho Movement, which is picking up steam in many ways. Let's get a quick update. Um, I got this article here coming to us from the Idaho State Journal. Title says, Greater Idaho Movement wins, another, wins over another Oregon county. So uh, part of this process is for the people to vote, ladies and gentlemen, on whether or not they want to leave Oregon and join Idaho. That's what's happening. Okay, here's the catch up. The groundswell for a greater Idaho won over another rural eastern Oregon county last week, further emboldening the long shot movement that aims to significantly alter the country's map for the first time oh, in 160 years. Voters in Wallowa County narrowly sided with 11 other counties. That's right. There are 11 counties in Oregon that have already voted to leave Oregon and join Idaho. Okay. <laughs> 11 of them already. There's not a whole lot of counties in Oregon. I mean, obviously not as many as in Texas, but uh, it says here 11 counties have already cited with them and Wallowa County narrowly joined them, approving a measure that will require its commissioners to explore relocating Idaho borders to include Wallowa County. Another county, Crook County, will put the same proposal to voters next May, leaving just two counties fully east of Greater Idaho's proposed boundary yet to take up the decision. Or the question, I should say. Uh, we have uh, this statement here from Greater Idaho spokesman Matt McCaw. And he said, we know at this point this idea is very popular in eastern Oregon. Mm -hmm very popular. Um, he said that, um, he noted that the movement has won approval of 59% of voters across the 12 counties and stressed that redrawing the border between the states would get people matched up to the government that they want. Um, Matt McCaw added, the state line is an imaginary line. It can go wherever it goes. When Oregon and Idaho sit down, the line can go anywhere. That political maneuvering, however, remains a challenge. The Idaho House of Representatives in its 2023 session voted 41 to 20, oh, 41, 28 to 1 
wait, 41, 28, and 1 in favor of House Joint Memorial 1, authorizing GEM state legislators to begin talks with their Oregon counterparts about reimagining re the border, a vote that evenly split the Magic Valley's eight representatives. Representative Chanel Dixon, um, a Republican of Kimberly, described the greater Idaho idea as far-fetched during a phone interview with the, New the Times News on Friday. She voted against HJM1, along with fellow Republicans Greg Lanting of Twin Falls and Jack Nelson of Jerome, and Ned Burns, a Democrat from Bellevue. Uh, Dixon said, just the process it has to go through, it has to go through Congress. I'm hesitant to support things like that. Oh, so today we want to move here because we don't like our politics. I'm pretty cautious about things like that. This Dixon woman, I don't know who she is, this Chanel Dixon, right? This Republican of Kimberly, like uh, Kimberly, Oregon, but... Uh, that's pretty dumb. This movement for greater Idaho has been happening for years. Okay. I mean, maybe not 10 years. Maybe there was an undercurrent 10 years ago, but I, something tells me that Oregon was not as bad as it is today, 10 years ago, you know? So th for this woman to say, I don't know, just because we don't like our politics, it sounds to me that like this Chanel Dixon's pretty comfortable in her occupied office. And she's probably one of these, right? All right, Oregon, you've been warned, okay? All right, so uh, anyways, let's go ahead and finish up with this. So it says here, uh, Representative Lance Klo, or Lance Klo of Twin Falls, he supported the legislation. He told the Times News on Friday during a phone interview that he cannot imagine the Oregon legislature ever agreeing to a proposal. But Klo added, there's nothing wrong with asking people what they want. Republican representatives Clay Handy of Burley, Steve Miller of Fairfield, and Douglas Piquette, uh, Pickett of Oakley also voted for the resolution. Um, while McCaw, or I should say Memorial, right, since that's what they call them in Oregon, while McCaw claimed Greater Idaho had the votes to also succeed in the Senate, he said Idaho's upper chamber decided it was not going to touch this once the Democrat-controlled Oregon legislature signaled its lack of interest in taking up the issue. It's a matter of political will to make it happen, McCaw said. The support, the support is there in Idaho while working on the Oregon legislature to have legislators have the conversation. That won't likely be soon. The Oregon Senate is in its sixth week of a Republican-led walkout that has all but grinded government to a halt a symptom of the problem in today's fractured politics, said McCaw. So that's pretty interesting, huh? The Republicans in Oregon have walked out, which means they can't have the conversation about joining Idaho. Hmm? The redrawing of the Idaho-Oregon border, he insisted, would help alleviate such gridlock by moving people forced together by a state line that was set there 200 years ago. Mike McCarter, the founder of the movement, also pointed to potential tax advantages for both, both states. McCarter said in a news release this week, Portland metro incomes are so high that any middle income county that departs to 
departs the Oregon state budget increases the average income of both Oregon and Idaho. The Wallowa County vote was razor thin, succeeding by just seven votes, 1,752 to 1,745, and averting and averting a recount. Wallowa County, with a population of about 7,500, according to 2021 U.S. Census, is in the northeastern corner of Oregon, south of Lewiston. The Oregon counties seeking to join Idaho, like Wallowa, are mostly rural and far removed from the state's largest metropolitan area in Portland and the state capital of Salem. The movement would encompass smaller cities such as Klamath Falls, Pendleton, La Grande, and Baker City, among others, but not Bend, the largest population center in Oregon away from the coast. There's not a great economic advantage to Idaho to do this, said Dixon, adding that it costs taxpayer money every time the Idaho legislature spends time talking about anything, including even just the idea of greater Idaho. Clough raised two additional obstacles, both of which could break any potential deal. Idaho has a sales tax and Oregon does not. And Oregon permits recreational and med medicinal and Idaho does not. Those two things alone are huge questions, he said. The U.S. has adopted new states, exchanged small parcels of acreage between states, slightly adjusted international borders, and moved many maritime borders over the last 160 years. But not since 1863, the same year the Idaho Territory was incorporated, has the country split a state when West Virginia was created out of Virginia. Very interesting story, that, guys. What do y'all think about Greater Idaho, huh? Here, let me show you this real quick so you guys can get an idea of what they're looking at. Oh, where'd my article go? Whoopsie, hold on. Let me correct myself before I wreck myself. Okay. Where's my Greater Idaho image? Here it is. Come on over. So here's what they're look. Here's what's what they're looking at right now. Uh, this is a meme that was provided for um, for us for you know uh, audience members and those who have uh, inquiring minds about what Greater Idaho is going to look at. Now, when the last time I covered this story, guys, the last time we were talking about Greater Idaho. California was not part of it. Okay. So since the last time I covered this, which was probably I'm on, if I'm being honest, probably about six months. Okay. Cause I haven't, I had not been on the air since like the end of January. Okay. And I hadn't even covered the story in January. So it's probably been at least six months since I've covered the story. California was not involved in greater Idaho, but now we're seeing a section of North uh, Northern, Northwestern California, sorry, Northeastern, excuse me, California, um, as well as uh, what you're seeing here in Oregon. Now, right now, the, the way the line is looking for greater Idaho is it would go down this way. Right now they have what? Um, they have uh, 12 counties, 11 counties, possibly 12, right? All right here that want to be part of Idaho again. You know, and uh, and now California has gotten to play. Now, wouldn't that look? Wouldn't that be interesting? This map right here. Look at so Oregon would be reduced to Portland, basically. <laughs> Oregon would be reduced to Portland, 
But this is what is envisioned, okay? Um, if you still have a Facebook, they have a group called Greater Idaho, group slash Greater Idaho. You can get information there. Um, but uh, there was mention about the benefits, right, of why it would benefit um, Oregonians and Idahoans to have this merger, okay? So I wanted to share this just to let the thoughts and the ideas breathe into the ether, okay? So this was a, um, this was a, um, opinion piece uh by an or by i think an oregonian or an idahoan who wrote this i think is actually the founder of greater idaho who wrote this okay where he talks about why it would be better to have the borders moved and how it would benefit both states okay so it says here um do you want oregon to hold eastern oregon communities captive in a state that they do not wish to remain in eastern oregon excluding bend is a huge drain on the state budget the average Northwestern Oregon wage earner, including Bend, subsidizes Eastern and Southern Oregon counties by $690 annually, according to a thorough independent economic analysis funded by the Claremont Institute. Do you enjoy paying for that? Not many do. A 2022 Survey USA poll found that only 3% of Northwestern Oregonian voters think that keeping these counties in Oregon is worth that cost. 12 counties of Eastern Oregon have voted in favor of considering making Eastern Oregon a part of Idaho. Why should Western Oregon's taxes, including Ben's, go to counties who don't appreciate it, who vote against Oregon taxes and programs, and who do not consent to Oregon's government? Letting Eastern Oregon counties get their state governance from Idaho would allow those tax dollars to be used for the rest of Oregon. Currently, Eastern Oregon voters weigh in on statewide ballot measures, and our state legislators cause gridlock in the Oregon legislature. In the area proposed to join Idaho, which excludes Sisters, Sun River, and Bend, but not Redmond or Lapine, 75% of voters voted for a Republican for Congress last November. An Eastern Oregon judge is preventing a gun control law from being implemented. When parents see their son reach adulthood, they relinquish control over him. Eastern Oregon is asking for the same freedom. Like parents, Western Oregon will be relieved of the burden and the lifestyle conflict if they let Eastern Oregon be free to move out. Oregon's son would thrive as a part of Idaho. Portland metro incomes are so high that any middle-income county that departs the Oregon state budget increases the average income of both Oregon and Idaho. The Claremont Institute analysis found that eastern and southern Oregon's economy would improve and be a net benefit to Idaho's state budget. Idaho is a red state that respects the value of family, faith, and rural jobs. If the state line is relocated, then Western Oregon conservatives could move to Idaho and still be within driving distance of friends and family. Your communities and our communities don't need to share a state government. Let's live and let live. You would still be welcome to visit. Legally, Oregon has the right, but morally, what right does Western Oregon have to hold on to Eastern Oregon without its consent? Oregon is not a natural unit of territory. It's an artificial political unit created by men who had never visited the area. Congress probably put the border out because there weren't enough people west of the Cascades to make a self-governing territory in 1852. 
At that time, they had no way of knowing what kind of people would eventually inhabit the two sides of the Cascades. Now, the state line can be moved to a location that serves the interests of the people by locating it along the actual dividing line between the areas that prefer Salem's rule and Eastern Oregonians who prefer Boise's. State lines have been relocated dozens of times in U.S. history, although never more than a single county at a time. But Oregon is known for pioneering new trends in state law. Are Oregonians open-minded enough to embrace a win-win solution on this mammoth scale? The Idaho House of Representatives passed a bill in February that invites Oregon to begin talks with Idaho about the possibility of moving the Oregon-Idaho state line. A similar bill in the Oregon Legislature Senate, uh, Senate Joint Memorial 2, has not even been awarded a hearing to consider the above. 68% of Northwestern Oregon voters said that Oregon should look into the idea. We are calling on Oregonians to contact their state legislators about this bill. Very interesting that, ladies and gentlemen. What do you guys think about that? Any thoughts on should states be allowed? I think that the, I think that that's the perfect argument there. I mean, and even better so because they were able to um, they were able to provide the benefits for the state of Oregon itself, ladies and gentlemen. So, I mean, it's a winning argument in my opinion, but I'm not from Idaho or Oregon. So what do I know? Right. You know, I don't even believe that Texas should secede. I, I don't think, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm quite fond of this union. If I'm being honest with you guys, I'm quite fond of this union. You know, I don't think that we should have to, unless we absolutely have to anyways. Okay, guys. All right. That's going to take us to our final story for this evening, this afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. What's that? We got the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. What? We the people? What are we talking about now? Okay. We're going to talk about a story that's coming out of Louisiana, Bob. Okay. Louisiana. We don't always get too Southern here, but we like to, we like to skip around and, and talk about the states here and there, uh, each individual 50 as we can. There's an, a story coming out of Louisiana's state legislature that I thought was worth mentioning as we're talking about like greater Idaho and the voters preferences versus the state's uh, predetermined um, predetermined demands, ladies and gentlemen, um, is uh, the 10th Amendment, right? And what that means to us, okay? Now, it's very interesting, this story coming out of Louisiana, because I, I find it interesting that in this day and age, it's like we as citizens are, are, are forced to make our legislature create laws that we, sh I mean, okay, it's like President Trump says, who would have thought that I would have to say in 2023, uh, I will fight for your right uh, to uh, have a say-so over your child's, um, you know, life, right? That I can determine it as a parent. Who would have thought that, right? Who would have thought that we would have to reassert our rights not to be man uh, forcefully jabbed? Who would have thought that we would have to reassert our rights, right, as law, so this way we don't have to come under any of their encroachment, you know, that kind of a thing, right? So, I mean, this was, I thought, worth sharing, and as a bit of a reminder to the rest of us all out there that it's it's kind of ridiculous that we're at a point in our nation's history where we have to reaffirm where we stand, that these rights 
that have been wheedled away for decades, um, you know, in soft encroachment, like that we have to reassert those rights. Well, that's exactly what the state of Louisiana has done uh, in a bill that they recently passed. So let's take a look at it. Uh, this article is coming uh, somewhere from Louisiana, thehayride.com out of Louisiana, a victory for the 10th Amendment in Louisiana. Let's get a little bit of clarification, and then I got a cherry on top for you guys. What is this article about? Okay, 10th Amendment, right? That's the state's rights. Remember, any powers not enumerated to the federal government go back to the states, that kind of a thing. Remember? Okay, all right. So that, now that we're all on the same page, okay. It says here, um, a few things concern the citizens of Louisiana more than the steady encroachment of the federal government on our constitutionally protected liberty. Many Louisianans feel the way that W.B. Yates must have felt when he wrote that the falcon cannot hear the falconer, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The federal government seems to have no mechanisms of self-restraint. We feel suffocated by its excesses. It is appropriate in this context to celebrate the passage of SCR 21, Senator Stuart Cathy's Joint Concurrent Resolution. Senate Concurrent Resolution 21, passed in both chambers yesterday, affirms Louisiana's sovereign constitutional right to nullify unconstitutional acts of the federal government. The resolution rests on the foundational writings of the men who ratified the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, the guarantee made to the 13 free and independent states who formed our Constitution, and U.S. Supreme Court precedent going back two centuries. In the 1798 Kentucky Resolutions, which nullified the Federal Alien and Seditions Act, Thomas Jefferson wrote that the states who agreed to ratify the Constitution are sovereign and independent within their sphere, and that whenever the federal government acts without constitutional authority, nullification is the rightful remedy. Indeed, neither the Constitution nor the revolutionary experiment in liberty it secured would have been possible had there been any question about the state's right to nullify federal acts that violate state sovereignty. It was an express condition of entering into the constitutional compact. Alexander Hamilton, an agent of the Rothschilds, who believed in a strong central government, nonetheless said in Federalist 33 that any law passed by Congress that was not enacted pursuant to its constituted powers will be merely acts of usurpation and will deserve to be treated as such. Emphasis added. Oh, why, thank you. Mr. Alexander Hamilton. Uh, Senate Concurrent Resolution 21 is a well-written defense of state sovereignty and a declaration by our state legislature that it need no longer yield to the steady erosion of our individual freedom by a monolithic federal government. Both Senator Stuart Cathy and Representative Alan Sebaugh, who carried the resolution on the House floor, deserve praise for their efforts. To, to paraphrase Felix Adler, the statesman is the one who sets blazing torches of liberty in the dark streets of tyranny so that others may see. I'm sure it is no I'm sure it's no question to us out there. We don't have statesmen anymore. 
We don't have statesmen anymore. President Trump is the only statesman we have at this point, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how your state house legislator legislators are doing, but uh, they ain't looking too hot in Texas, okay? They ain't looking too hot, right? That's a great statement, though, from Felix Adler. That's a great statement. The statesman is the one who sets blazing torches of liberty in the dark streets of tyranny so that others may see. Hmm? Hmm? We need more statesmen, ladies and gentlemen. We need more statesmen. Okay. It says here uh, to conclude the article. It says Senate to concurrent resolution 21 is just such a torch lit by Kathy and Seabaugh as well as the legislators who supported it to final passage, may states around the country be emboldened to follow suit. And that was written by J. Christopher Alexander of the Louisiana Citizen Advocacy Group. I got that person confused with J. Christian Alexander of the Public Interest Legal Foundation. Totally separate, totally separate organization that. So, you know, so that was, that is a heartening article to read, right? Where, you know, without being cynical, you know, I do think it's kind of crazy that we have to pass resolutions that refortify our belief in our 10th amendment in this day and age. It's crazy that we have to do that, right? But nonetheless, Louisiana has done so in this legislative session for their state with major props to them. But here's the cherry on top, guys. Here's the cherry on top. Whenever they pass resolutions like these guys, they're just going to tell you what it says. You guys need to see what it actually says. So to close the show this afternoon, we're going to read Louisiana's concurrent resolution 21 that refortifies their resolve in the 10th Amendment against an encroaching federal government. It's strong. It's a strong document. And maybe, maybe just maybe, even though we really shouldn't have to rely on refortifying things, just as information goes in circles, so that this way we can access it when we need it, sometimes these reminders are helpful. And I found the language of this resolution one of those commodities. Let's take a look at what Louisiana had to say in this concurrent resolution. It goes like this. To affirm the sovereign right of Louisiana to nullify unconstitutional acts of the federal government. Whereas Article 1 of the Constitution of Louisiana establishes a declaration of rights, and whereas Section 1 of Article 1 declares in pertinent part that all government of right originates with the people, is founded on their will alone, and is instituted to protect the rights of the individual and for the good of the whole. And whereas Section 1 of Article 1 further provides that the rights enumerated in this article are inalienable by the state and shall be preserved inviolate by the state, and whereas Section 2 of Article 1 declares that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property except by due process of law. And whereas when we the people ordained and established the Constitution of the United States of America, the people and states granted only specific limited powers to the federal government enumerated in Section 8 of Article 1, 
And whereas Article 1, 2, and 3 of the Constitution of the United States, respectively, exclusively vest legislative, executive, and judicial powers to the corresponding branches of government, and whereas this horizontal separation of powers reflects the understanding the Founding Fathers derived from both scripture and experience, that sinful man could not be trusted to always be virtuous and public-minded, and whereas the Founding Fathers did not want undue power to be combined in any branch of government where, if left unchecked, it could become tyrannical, and whereas the Constitution of the United States does not permit Congress to delegate or confer any lawmaking power to any other branch of government, and whereas no other person, agency, or department of any other branch of the federal government has any lawmaking power under the Constitution of the United States, and whereas Article 1, Section 7 of the Constitution of the United States establishes the only process by which a bill becomes a law, and whereas this process requires passage by both houses of Congress followed by either presidential approval or congressional override of presidential veto, and whereas any action by the executive or judicial branches that purports to enact law or that is treated as such is an usurpation of power, and whereas federal court opinions and executive orders are often erroneously interpreted as law or to have amended the Constitution of the United States, and whereas the principle of separation of powers is so innately representative of a Republican form of government that it is upheld and reinforced in the Constitution of Louisiana through the establishment of three branches of state government, and whereas when in creating a federal government through ratification of the Constitution of the United States, the people and the states also designed a vertical separation of powers between the superior sovereign states and the inferior federal government and the inferior federal government and the inferior federal government. Emphasis added on inferior, okay? Whereas a vertical separation of powers is explicitly articulated in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution of the United States, granting to the federal government only limited enumerated lawmaking powers. And whereas this vertical separation of powers is also incorporated into the Bill of Rights, and whereas the First Amendment specifically denies Congress lawmaking power within certain listed fields, and whereas the Ninth Amendment specifically prohibits the federal government from interfering with rights not expressly enumerated in the Constitution of the United States, and whereas the Tenth Amendment denies the federal government powers not delegated to it in, in the Constitution of the United States, and whereas this vertical separation of powers is generally well known by the people and the states and was known and respected by the federal government for over 100 years of our nation's history, and whereas the principle has become increasingly disregarded in recent decades, as if the federal government were supreme in all areas and unlimited in its jurisdiction, and whereas whether this shift was intentional or accidental, active or passive, it nevertheless finds no support in the Constitution of the United States of America, the laws of the United States or the constitutions of any of the sovereign states and is an illegal usurpation of power and the unalienable rights of the people. And whereas any federal action that violates either the horizontal or vertical separations of power is void as the constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the land. And whereas the landmark Supreme Court case Marbury v. Madison declared that a law repugnant 
to the Constitution is void. And whereas an act of Congress repugnant to the Constitution of the United States cannot become a law. And whereas the provisions of the Constitution of the United States supersedes all other laws. And whereas in the 1879 decision ex parte Siebold, the Supreme Court ruled that an unconstitutional law is void and is as no law, an offense created by it is not a crime, a conviction under it is not merely erroneous, but is illegal and void and cannot be a legal cause of imprisonment. And whereas in Norton v. Shelby County, the Supreme Court stated that an unconstitutional act is not a law, it confers no rights, it imposes no duties, it affords no protections, it creates no office, it creates no office, it creates no office, it creates no office, it, creates no office. it, is, it, it is in legal contemplation as inoperative as if it had never been passed. And whereas in Miranda v. Arizona, the Supreme Court further opined that where rights secured by the Constitution are involved, there can be no rulemaking or legislation which would abrogate them. And whereas, as Thomas Jefferson explained in the Kentucky Resolutions of 1798, whensoever the general government assumes undelegated powers, its acts are unauthoritative, void, and of no force. And whereas Jefferson further added, but where powers are assumed which have not been delegated, a nullification of the act is a rightful remedy that every state has a natural right in cases not within the compact to nullify of their own authority all assumptions of power by others within their limits. And whereas the Constitution of the United States binds federal lawmakers by oath to support the Constitution, and when they fail to do so, the rightful remedy for the states is to nullify their usurpations and to declare their acts as void. And whereas every constitutional officeholder must know and understand these important constitutional limitations of power and individually determine how best to defend the rights of the people and fulfill his or her oath of office. And whereas President Andrew Jackson illustrated commitment to this principle in 1832 through his veto of a bill to recharter the Bank of the United States. Oh, bring it home, baby. Bring it home. Okay. 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 We got, okay, guys, for those of you who are new, okay, Andrew Jackson, guys, never mind the trail of tears. Andrew Jackson was my favorite president until President Trump came into the picture. You guys might have noticed President Trump was hanging Andrew Jackson, um, uh, uh, his uh, portrait on his wall, right? Andrew Jackson, the guy who killed the bank, okay? I'm so glad they put that in there. Ooh, that makes me feel ooh nice and bubbly inside. Yeah, we're going to get the conversation of the central bankers and their debt slavery on the table before we're done with this, ladies and gentlemen. Not today's show. I mean, before we're done, okay? All right, so, because that's all right. Andrew Jackson did not recharter the bank of the United, the central bank of the United States, okay? Whereas President Jackson argued that the principle of separation of powers meant that no branch of government could claim the exclusive rights to settle constitutional differences of opinion because each public officer swears to uphold the constitution as he understands it, not as it is understood by others. And whereas President Jackson's veto illustrated the requirement 
that every office holder must reach an independent judgment about the jurisdictional scope of the federal government and act consistently upon those judgments. And whereas the Constitution of the United States assures the people and the states that their respective rights and powers will be respected by the federal government, and whereas these sacred rights shall not be infringed upon any action of the federal government purporting to wield any undue authority. Therefore, be it resolved that the legislature of Louisiana does hereby affirm the sovereign right of Louisiana to nullify unconstitutional acts of the federal government. So there's your cherry on top, ladies and gentlemen. I you know when it comes to resolutions like these, I love to read them because when you get some good writers together and they're pulling up all this historical information, they're pulling up, you know, like um, uh, they're pulling up different legislation pieces. They're putting up they're pulling up uh, articles that came from court cases and documents. It's the language, you know, it's the language that I think sometimes can serve to refortify us. Or serve as a model or an example for, you know, uh, what we're doing in our own locales, in our own areas. Whereas the state of Louisiana might have pushed this. We could send this to one of our representatives in our own respective states and maybe they can start working on a document like this. And the thing about it is, like I said, it's kind of sad that we have to reaffirm and reassert our rights. Like, hey, federal government, just in case you forgot, we did not forget you know, how this form of government works, you know, or, hey, federal government, just because, you know, you think all of our constituents and voters are asleep and don't care, fact of the matter is they're paying attention, you know. And so I wanted to share the language of that with you guys because of all of the rich amounts of information that are included in a four-page document about reasserting our rights. Ladies and gentlemen, Louisiana done did it first here, guys, and maybe other states will follow suit. Um, something that shouldn't be necessary, but in this day and age, I guess what we're finding across the board is these things are in fact necessary, which again, utter shame. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, if you've been hanging out today on this episode of the Sea Report, I cannot thank you enough. If you enjoyed the broadcast, please hit the like button, smash that rumble button, hit that red pill button, and repost and share. Uh, we'll be live here the rest of the week, uh, probably sooner than later. Uh, I've already made a promise to uh, my audience. We'll, we will finish um, the book, Vote Scam, The Stealing of America. We're doing a book reading here on this channel also. So like, uh, make sure you hit the um, follow button if you'd like notifications. Uh, we'll do the last two installments of Vote Scam this week. It's been a great book. It's been a great read. 
I've been grateful for all of you who've been tagging along for story hour, right? Um, and then uh, I think on the last installment, I'll uh, go ahead and announce the next book in the series. So we're gonna, I'm gonna do another book after this. And I think, oh boy, the next book's gonna be pretty heavy. So, and I don't mean because it's thick either. I don't, I don't mean because it's, it's, uh, you know, got a high page count, you know? Yeah, anyways, so it's, it's a pretty, it's going to be a pretty heavy book. So if you guys are into that, it's not everyone's seen, you know, um, um, live, live book reading podcasts, not everyone's seen. I get it. You can always take this podcast to go, uh, by hanging out or by following us over at, um, well, your favorite podcasting app and platform, you know, I push Spotify because that's the main platform I'm at. And then also if you do follow us on Spotify, you get video versions of the podcast, but you know, you can't always be with your eyes attached to a screen, right? You know, sometimes you're out for a jog. Sometimes you're out for a drive and you still want to hear the C report. Check it out. Uh, if you're hanging over at R rumble and pilled, uh, there are links down below in the description. So if you want to go ahead and follow along on the podcast version, uh, you're more than welcome to, it'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, last but not least, um, we did, uh, an episode of C, uh, we did a C stream this weekend. So C stream is available. It's premium content. Um, that I'm, I'm doing on Sunday nights now. Uh, we were hanging out for how long did we hang out last night for about two and a half hours last night? Anyways. So like I said, it's premium content, you know, it's kind of like a behind the scenes kind of like, uh, stories that hit the cutting room floor that you won't see here on the C report, you know? So I've been doing that on Sundays. You're welcome to join along. Um, I'll probably keep them open to the public for the next month or so. And then like it, after that, though, you know, depending on how things go after that, um, it'll be for uh, subscribers only, supporters only, premium content kind of stuff. I'll clip it out and things. If you're on Rumble, if you're on Pilled, if you're on Twitch, you can check out last night's episode. It should still be publicly available. It's C-Streams number two. Okay. So go check it out. See if it's a flavor you enjoy. See if it's uh, something that you'd like to try again. And uh, if you support the show, hey, my gratitude always, my heart to you. Thank you so much. All right. And last but not least, before I part for tonight, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, I published an article over at my Locals page. It's my first article at Locals. I typically publish my articles over at my website, but I'm currently in a state where I'm not sure where I want to go with my website. I'm thinking of moving everything over to Locals. I'm not sure yet. Anyways, just real quick, if you have a Locals account, you do not have to pay me in order to follow, okay? You can actually join and follow for free. Join the C-Team. It's the cteam.locals.com. Uh, and uh, you can get, you can access anything I have there for free. There's some stuff that's behind the pay for the premium, the supporters, but you know, overall, I've got a lot of stuff out there for people that's uh, free. So the article, my first article over at Locals, will Arizona stolen elections be allowed to stand? New information strongly suggests it should not. I kind of went off last night on the C streams uh, talking about this and the Washington Examiner. We're not going to read it here, but I did want to let you guys know that it exists. It is out there in the ether. If you'd like to give it a read and share it. Uh, I talked specifically about the crime that has been caught on camera. The Maricopa um, elections workers actually caught on camera committing a crime, committing a crime that is just as outrageous and is just as provoking as what we were seeing in the book Vote Scam, the stealing of America, because they had cr election crimes caught on camera also. 
And we haven't seen anything this blatant since then on camera besides 2000 mules. Okay. So 2000 mules, the Maricopa County elections, uh, cr crimes caught on camera and then vote scam, right. Which happened in the 1980s. Okay. Those are the, those, those crimes caught on camera buried. Okay. So if you're interested in vote scam, Again, make sure you follow so you can get notifications for when I'm going live or catch the replay. I do have one condition, though. If you catch the replay, please make sure you hit the like button or the rumble button, and uh, we'll call it a trade-off, okay? All right, guys. I got a jet. I got a jet. It's already late in the afternoon. Y'all have a great afternoon. Thanks again for stopping in. I'll be back with you guys sooner than later. But until then, as always, be safe, be blessed. God bless America. I'll talk to you all soon. Ta-ta.